Hi, everybody. Welcome to the B2B Sales Podcast. I'm Skip Miller. And I'm Thibaut Suiris. Every two weeks, we're going to be interviewing thought leaders, experts, and top performers in B2B sales. And every other week, we'll share tactical tips and insights on how to start conversations, generate opportunities, and close deals faster. We're on a mission to change the way people see sales. As you know, sales is a profession that is one of the most rewarding ever. Yet people are afraid to try or really extend themselves. And this isn't really good. This podcast is brought to you by Sales Labs and M3 Learning. If you want to attend the recording of the podcast episodes and ask your questions to the guests, you can join the Selling Advantage community. It's a $25 a month subscription where you get access to a community of B2B salespeople, exclusive events, and tactical resources to help you close bigger deals faster. Join today and get one month for free at www.sellingadvantage.io. So get ready for your dose of sales wisdom, tools, and tactics, and enjoy the show. everybody and welcome to Enterprise Sales Development. I'm Eric Quanstrom, CMO at Science. So today's episode, really cool one, um, and not just because of the French accent, but we've got <laughs> Thibaut Souris, um, who is French, currently living in Berlin, Germany. He's the CEO of Sales Labs. He's also um, a co-host of the B2B Sales Podcast, an advisor to Tolstoy, and a founder of uh, the Seligan Advantage community. So quite a number of experiences and perspectives to bring forward for what was really kind of like a treatment on the LinkedIn topic from every imaginable angle. And that's what you're going to get on this episode. You're going to get actionable strategies for how to le leverage and set appointments and create attention on LinkedIn at a much higher rate than you were doing previous to listening to this podcast, you're going to get a lot of like open um, questions around how you should strategize this channel into your prospecting approach. And Thibo brings it. I mean, he's got a ton of best practices, a ton of really great ideas for doing exactly that, you know, making LinkedIn a much more effective channel for you. Also has some free goodies. So listen through to the end of the episode and he'll tell you where to get all of those um, on his profile. But I think this is a really enjoyable episode for prospecting on LinkedIn, all things considered. So without any further ado, let's get to it. And so, you know, Debo, one of the reasons that that I definitely wanted to have you on and 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 get you and some of your insights for our audience is that I've heard you on other podcasts really digging deep and, and kind of unpacking how to prospect on LinkedIn and how to do it effectively, mm -hmm. which I think is probably one of the biggest struggles for a lot of people today. Would you agree? I would agree that it's a huge struggle and that's why um, people like me exist, I think. And uh, that's why business is, is, is going great. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, then let's take it from the start. Where do you start? with your clients at Sales Labs? So um, where I start? So at Sales Labs, basically what I do is it's a company I've created. I'm just by myself in this company, what you call a solopreneur. And basically what I do is I train and coach tech sales people to start more conversations. And I love doing it through LinkedIn, which is what I really specialize on. 
Uh, I'm not talking about lead generation or, you know, there's quite a bad rap about around LinkedIn, around this kind of thing when you say lead generation. Um, but I'm really talking about how you can identify, uh, you know, like your prospects. So understand where people hang out and how you can use what I call their digital footprint to reach out to them. So that's the first thing we start with with my customers and students is just to get them to understand that LinkedIn is a place where people hang out. It's not like a lead database. It's actually a social network. And it happens to be a social network that is uh, the most accurate, biggest B2B lead database you can find. So it's not a lead database, but people are actually putting their job titles, saying that they're looking for jobs, that they just got hired or you know, sharing uh, insights. And it's a great place to go and find this digital footprint, use them as triggers and start conversations with prospects online. So that's how we start typically. Yeah, very simple. You know, I'm fond of saying and, and looking at it um, at the 30,000 foot view, at least in my estimation, um, LinkedIn may be one of the biggest monopolies in the world today because there's like no relevant substitute for professional identity that I'm aware of um, <laughs> that comes even remotely close to second. I didn't, I didn't never thought about it that way, but that's true. Actually, there's no, you know, there at the, at the infancy of LinkedIn, there was Xing, for example, in Germany, you had Viadeo in France and there were these kind of regionalized um, attempts to, to do something like LinkedIn, where it was, hey, if you are looking for a job, you have this platform, but LinkedIn really took over and became this really huge social network where right now it's kind of interesting because it's a creator network like you could have on uh, Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat, but it's only one of the only one that is purely business oriented. And um, that's, that's actually very, very interesting. So I'm curious to know, you know, what would be the kind of competitors to LinkedIn? Uh, I know we missed a really cool acquisition. I think at the time Salesforce wanted to acquire LinkedIn or the opposite, I don't remember, but it ended up being Microsoft, unluckily for us. So yeah, that was interesting. Very interesting. In fact, I think uh, that um, added to the laundry list of, of competitors that tried and failed in the professional identity space um, Facebook had Facebook for business for a long time, and now it's very de-emphasized on their platform, yeah. on their network. I don't even know Absolutely. if it's even still a thing, to be honest. Yeah, um, Google Spaces or something like that. There was there was some weird stuff there. <laughs> yeah, and and it's funny too because I think that it professional social social networks are also a chicken and egg problem where, you know, the the scale is also what drives a lot of that social networking kind of effectiveness, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the, obviously that, you know, you always have to start at a certain point. And right now I think we have 700 million people on LinkedIn. Um, so it's it's huge and, and there's still like huge areas that can be improved where, you know, for example, I always like to take the example of my father. He's a CEO of a company in Switzerland. They sell uh, robots that do packaging basically. So the Mars and sneakers are, packaged by their robots, I think, or I don't know if they still have the contract, but he never hangs out on LinkedIn. So, you know, there's places where you can go and, and create this niche and then grow from the niche, but this kind of holistic approach or holistic, uh, um, you know, yeah, this, this huge presence of LinkedIn is, is hard to replicate right now. Well, I always like to say diving into the weeds for just a moment, that even the lack of information on a given profile that you would see on LinkedIn is a huge tell. It's a mm -hmm. huge source of information. If I see a profile that's say been in, that hasn't been updated in years or has very few contacts, that actually tells me a lot about that person and 
frankly, their need to ever go and seek another job, their stability in, in career, especially if they're a high title or owner of business, yeah. CEO of business, like you're, you're saying going forward. Um, would, would you indicate, or would you say that that's some of the mindset teaching that you're going for with a lot of your students as well? Yeah. So typically when you go and you hang out on LinkedIn and you see that people in there have a LinkedIn profile, but they never updated anything, you, there's a few indications. So they're not really super active on LinkedIn. So it may not be the only channel where you need to go, but it also a good indication is that potentially they're not really good users where they know exactly how to work with LinkedIn, including notifications. So that's one thing that is always super important is LinkedIn, whenever you open an account, there's all notifications, like every time someone likes, comments, sends a message, you receive an email, basically. So these people may still receive what you're doing, even though they're not connecting, they may see it as spam. But yeah, that's something where I try to teach people what's behind all this, but also to understand that LinkedIn is not just one channel, one place to do everything. And there are areas where it's going to work really well and other areas where it's not going to work at all. We have this thing in Germany called Mittelstand, which is typically, if you think about the uh, trash container in your in driveway, you know, the kind of box where you put your trash, that would be a company in Germany making millions or tens of millions selling these things or selling just the door of this thing, but no one actually will be online or LinkedIn because, you know, there's no use for them. Right. <laughs> Mittelstand, if I got that pronunciation right. Yeah, I like that. Mittelstand, yeah. So if you're thinking about um, beginning an approach that starts with LinkedIn, which I'm assuming is part of like the course or the, the methodology, the teachings that you're embracing, what are some of the things that you're looking to get people to understand about LinkedIn in general as a, as a channel to leverage? So the first thing to understand about LinkedIn is that it's just a um, social network, so it's kind of a replicate uh, or a replication of uh, the real world and how we interact with people. And the first thing you need to, to be really clear on is who you are trying to go after. So I like to use a, an ICP matrix, which stands for Ideal Customer Profile. And I like to mix it with the proactive selling methodology where you differentiate between two types of buyer, the above the line buyer and below the line buyer. Above the line buyer typically have a C or a VP in their title and below the lines have typically a director or head in their title. And you need to separate these two things, this type of people in specific type of companies you want to go after. And then once it's done, you need to have an idea of what are the problems they are trying to solve. So Eric, if I go after you, you're a CMO at Science, you have a ton of problems you're trying to solve, but your director of marketing our head of marketing has a ton of other problems they're trying to solve that are absolutely different. And so the big problem we see is that if we don't know about these differences here, we'll go after and try to reach out to people and talk about, uh, I don't know, we could talk about Google ads uh, marketing, like our CTAs or whatever. And you wouldn't care because you are not at this level. You are maybe at another level. So it's really understanding the difference between these two types of buyers. And then what are the problems they're trying to solve? Once this is done, this is really clear. The idea is to go and look for this digital footprint you can see on LinkedIn. So an example of a digital footprint would be if you, for example, like or comment on the post of someone else, a competitor, maybe a thought leader or someone uh, you know that is relevant for, to you, I can use that first to identify you. So if I follow the thought leader, I can see that you commented or posted on the post. And then I can use this post as my excuse to get in touch with you. 
So if you, I don't know if you are saying that you, I don't know, someone's talking about how connect and pitch is terrible on LinkedIn and they hate that and you say, yeah, I absolutely hate this. I could reach out to you and say, hey, so you actually like this post about connect and pitch. And then I can, you know, do a connection request, which is exactly the opposite and try to tease a specific resource to you where you're going to be interested in learning more about what I have to do. So that's, that's kind of the, the, the basic approach there. That's a wonderful backdrop. And I think that a very solid foundation for approaching anything or anyone on LinkedIn. Tell me when you're at the connection request stage, do you prefer to always personalize those connection requests going into the folks that you're reaching out to? So there's a rule here, which is a simple rule, which is if you don't have anything relevant to say, don't say anything. So adding a connection, like a text in a connection request is additional work for someone to actually accept or refuse. So when you receive like a connection request, either on your mobile phone or computer, you'll see basically the picture, the like the headline, the name of the person and how many people you connected with. And so there's small, slight variations, but if you add some text and the text start like, hey, I'm expanding my network or hey, you know, something that just like remotely look generic, people will most likely click on cancel or refuse because, you know, it's like kind of a lot of work and you go, you know, we have patterns with our brains. We take a lot of shortcuts. I see that. And I'm like, shortcut, this person's not worth my time. But if you, you know, like remove and you don't have any text and the picture looks good, you have some connections uh, in, in common, then I'm going to be more likely to actually click on accept. And the idea of having like a relevant uh, connection request, that's when you have to use this kind of digital footprint or trigger. And that's where you have to be really precise about notice that you did this and, you know, get the curiosity of people to actually click on see more and be really precise on that. That's really good advice. And I think that one of the things that you brought up, what I would call the null set, where you're just sending a connection request, no text, no preamble, no no nothing. Um, most prospects or people that are getting those connections, um, I would say probably 99.9% .9 of them are going immediately back to the profile that just sent them the connection request just to check them mm -hmm. out to your mm -hmm. point of looking at the picture and what's on that profile. Do you coach and train your students to optimize their LinkedIn profile for exactly that moment? Yeah, the LinkedIn profile is actually uh, very interesting because it's structured like a landing page where you have like a catchy banner, then you have like a headline and then you can develop a bit more and there's some kind of call to actions. The problem is with people in sales, what they do is they often go and their profiles are optimized for finding a job. So yeah. they say, uh, you know, went twice to President's Club to Hawaii, did like this quota, whatever thing. And if you're selling to someone, you know, a CMO or whatever, you couldn't care less. What you, is important for you is how can you help me? So do you have an understanding of my problem? And based on that, are you able to provide some resources to solve that problem? So for me, it's really always to turn your LinkedIn profile into a landing page. And the idea is that you have the sketchy banner, the headline, a bit more details, and the featured section, which is very important. And for me, the featured section is something where you need to optimize it for uh, just like you would for a website. So uh, what you see, you know, on most websites, most like SaaS or B2B website is something, a text where it's going to talk about uh, some lofty goals or whatever, and then book a demo. The problem is most people who go on your website are not ready to talk to you. A lot of people are actually, they have no clue what it is or they clicked on the ad. So you have what I call three types of leads, the cold, warm, and hot leads. 
And so your featured section should address to these three types of leads. And so for cold leads, a very simple lead magnet, like, a, I don't know, like a newsletter, a checklist that you can download or something like that can be a good thing. Then you can have for warm people, a webinar, a quiz, something a bit more involving. And then for really hot people, you can have like a calendar link where they can book a, a demo with you. And by doing this, you'll provide some call to actions for these people. And they'll be able to learn a lot more about how you can help. How do you know the problem they have and how can you help them solve this? You know, it's so funny. Um, what you just described is something that I fundamentally 100% agree with. And I think you're also breaking pattern or playing against type because most people, when they're on LinkedIn, are thinking about it as a professional identity site. They expect when they go to a profile page, they will see somebody's resume. They are not expecting that they will be, frankly, uh, marketed to, mm -hmm. which is what you're saying. Like all of a sudden, like the same filters, if I saw a very similar page on LinkedIn to a, a person's website, the website I'm expecting, my guard's up. Mm -hmm. I, I think I'm going to get sold. I know I'm going to get a lot of features and benefits and a lot of like about that company, but on a LinkedIn page, I'm not expecting that. So therefore, do those messages, do they become even more resonant? Yes, yeah, so so it that, that's that's a very good point on on that. I never actually saw it saw it this way, but that's true. Most people have this thing where it's their kind of resume, which is totally irrelevant for a prospect because I'm not trying to hire you. I'm trying to find should I accept your connection request? Are you a threat to me or are you just you know fine? And and basically like the what you can see is that this kind of like messaging when it's done right, it's providing a lot of resources for your buyers to take some you know data because i think it's they they get like 80, you know 80% of their decision is made before even talking to you so if you can provide resources to uh, to kind of like help them make this decision when they're going to talk to you they're going to be a lot warmer and they're going to know a lot more about you and so for me you know i prospect every single day i really you know try to uh, to 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 do what i am actually teaching and um, i see when people actually book a call with me as inbound leads they know so much about me because through my podcast, through a ton of things, but they have a lot of details and information about me. And I'm always so surprised how familiar they are with me because they're like, oh, Timo, it's been, you know, love, love you, whatever, love you, love what you're doing. And I'm like, great. I mean, I, I always tend to forget that all these assets are here doing right. this marketing for me, but it's always very surprising because I don't know about them, but they know, they seem to know everything about me. Well, you know, I mean, if I were to kind of rephrase what you just said, for salespeople or companies that are using LinkedIn as a as a hedge strategy or as a key channel, the more familiar my buyers are coming into any sales cycle, the better that sales close rate's gonna be, the more like <laughs> effective my sales, frankly, pitch is going to be. Yeah. I mean, doesn't everything get better the more familiar anyone is? Yeah, it does. That, that's the thing, that's why. You know, we have this huge push for personal brands on LinkedIn and you have some SDRs and account executive who are really crushing it over there. And they just, they build this, these huge brands and people are just like making decisions based on their personal brand. So they're like, uh, I'm thinking of, there's a, um, someone called Matti Shepper, I think she's in Germany. She's creator of a thing called SDR of Germany and she's working for Salesloft. And people actually go, you know, and talk to her and actually close deals with sales love because of her personal brand. So that's like, 
that tells you a lot. And if she decides next, you know, next week to go to outreach, she'll go to outreach and it's going to be, she's going to have a better offer than, than whatever she wants. So that's really the, the interesting thing is that when you create it, when you, you put yourself out there, people know about you and some people will hate, will hate what you're doing. And that's great because you don't want to work with them. Some people will be different and a lot of people will actually like what you're doing and they'll make a lot of buying decisions based on your personality. Well, I like the way that you're grouping out into cold, warm and hot to begin with. And the other thing about a landing page that seems to also overcome the just professional resume part of, of LinkedIn as, as a site is if you can attract and really get fairly rigorous about your ICP and who you're going after, isn't the idea that you want to represent to those people as a, frankly, a birds of, of the same feather, right? Like, mm-hmm. for instance, if you were pursuing CMOs, like, You'd want to talk about ways in which you help marketers, mm-hmm. the ways in which you understand marketers, the way in which like marketers, you have interesting either content, things to say, or a product or service that's relevant to marketers. Isn't that the idea? Yeah, that's that's exactly the idea. So one thing, and you're going to like that as a CMO, I'm sure your team is uh, crunching tons of content and blog posts and whatever and, and whatnot and all these things. And, um, you know, one thing that, that I always like to compare, like an SDR or someone who's prospecting, you have to see yourself as a DJ. So uh, mm-hmm. I live in Berlin, where it's, which is a town known for its nightlife or whatever. And what's very interesting is uh, DJs, often people think they are making music live. So what they're doing, DJs, they're taking one track, the other track, beat matching it and making sure that it actually fits together to create like a unique uh, musical moment. And so they're not creating anything live. They're just taking two things and putting it together. And so the idea when you are prospecting is to do the same. You are actually using resources that already exist, can be on your website, can be like blog posts, podcasts, because who has the time to read a blog post? No one. You know, it's often made for SEO optimization and there's a lot of interesting stuff, but it takes a lot of time to find the information. So your job is to curate that. And one thing I love to do is to actually tease prospects when I'm reaching out to them. I like to actually talk about a specific problem they have. If they have this problem, I have a potential resource. And if they want to know about the resource, they just have to reply. And the resource can be, you know, a blog post where I'm going to do a quick video, use a tool like Tolstoy, for example, to do a quick video and say, hey, so you can actually access the blog post below. But, you know, let's be honest, it's been done by marketers. So they talk a lot about SEO, whatever. So these are the three points you need to remember. One, two, three. And you can find them here, 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 and here. And basically by doing this, you're taking something that already exists. You are curating it, showing what matters to you, and then proposing that as a resource to a specific problem. And that's a really good way to actually start conversations and provide value even before building the relationship. Do you think that a lot of people struggle because they don't see themselves as curators or they see themselves as either having kind of like too big a mountain to climb where, oh, I've got to create original content or I've got to go out there and be all these things to all these people versus, you know, when I hear curating or being like a DJ, oh yeah, I could do that. I could blend these, you know, songs together. The thing is, it's one of the biggest problems I see and that, matter of fact, I'm actually building a course for that to help people do just that because it's actually very simple. Um, you know, the story for me is, is a, uh, I've lived in Berlin for what seven years and at some point I really wanted to learn how to DJ so actually I managed to land like a few gigs in clubs and everything I learned by nice. you know, myself and then I just thought you know when I saw what people were doing I was like wow that sounds so complicated it sounds like 
it's such like a really tough thing to do. And then when you start learning about it, you just realize it's just very simple, very basic. And, you know, you, you get like a few tricks and, and then you can, you can teach yourself that. So a lot of people think first that they don't have a voice so that, you know, no one will care about what they have to say, even prospects. And second, that they should just not say anything that is out of the, you know, like the kind of corporate messaging. So very often they're super afraid of taking content, recycling it, providing some value and being, you know, putting a spin on it that is their personality. So it's a huge struggle. And very often it comes from the top where SDR leaders or sales leaders saying, hey, you know, this is a sequence we're going to run and your job is to send this exact message. And so when I actually talk to these kind of people, I'm always saying, why do you hire SDRs? You could actually operate your whole SDR team. You know, you get one person, it's going to cost you like a tenth of everything you're, you're paying and they're going to do exactly what you're going to have the same results actually. So it's, you know, often this thing where people are afraid of putting their own spin because they think no one cares about that. But actually people care about what you have to say. Well, and <clears throat> what are some of the guardrails or even the the ways in which you get people feeling safe and comfortable, your students, with that exact um, finding their voice, for lack of a better way of putting it? So the thing is, finding your voice, the good thing, a thing that works extremely well to, uh, to kind of put yourself out there is to document what you're experimenting. So um, I'm a big fan of food videos. So I go often on YouTube and watch tons of stuff about food. And there's one kind of format that I really love. Uh, it's just like, you know, shops in the US that are selling hot dogs or that are selling, I don't know, like uh, stuff in Chicago, they have these kind of weird sandwiches or even in California where you're from, yeah. or where you live, it's just like you have tacos shops and whatever. And there's cameras where you have 20 minutes videos of someone cooking tacos, you know, and you see yeah. the whole process and you just like, just someone cooking tacos, like millions of people are doing it every day. But just of documenting it, people see the spin and they're like, wow, that looks cool. And these videos have millions, if not ten, tens of millions of views. And so that's the thing, is people are really curious to know what you're doing. And when you're prospecting, when you are uh, reaching out to people, like millions of other people are doing it and they're really curious to know how you're doing it. So just documenting your journey is a really great way to find your voice. And a good way to do that is to engage with people who are already doing what you want to do. So if you see SDRs, thought leaders that are documenting what they're doing, go and comment, you know, go and give some thoughts on their posts. And as you go, you'll see and you'll start to understand what is the style you want to have. And then you'll be able to kind of uh, use this style to reach out to prospects or even start documenting your journey in public by posting. What is your guidance that you like to give people around how much time they should be allocating for exactly this, um, documenting the journey, commenting, liking, or, or even listening um, out in kind of the wild or into other people's streams yeah. to learn? So there's, first, there's a thing. Um, it's absolutely okay to not go and start posting every day or document your journey as an SDR. Or This is absolutely fine. It's actually a journey of a creator, which is a very different job. And that's something that's very important. Personal brands are great, but most people do not really, do not really want to invest the time or it's really huge effort to do that. So first thing is you don't need to do it. Commenting, you know, living in other people's feed is a much simpler way to do that. And so what I always recommend is to time block. So for me, I'm running my business by myself, uh, make six figure a year. I work, I don't know, you know, in a busy week, I'm going to work 20 hours a week. 
but I do it by time blocking. So every day I'll prospect, you know, at a specific time. So one thing you can do is make sure you have 30 minutes every day to just go and comment on LinkedIn. Maybe put two, two blocks of 30 minutes. You know, it's going to be one hour, one in the morning, one in the afternoon, and go and engage with people where they are. And by just doing this, what's going to happen is people will start seeing you a lot more. They'll go on your profile and you'll see these profile views. And if they are relevant and fit with your ICP, you can even use that as an excuse to reach out to them. So that's like the, the kind of thing I recommend. 30 minutes is a good way to start. Go and comment with things that, that kind of like vibrate with you or, or that, that speak to you. And, and that's a good start. Well, and it's really getting in the middle of conversations that are already happening, whether you're there or not, right? Yeah, exactly. And the thing is, what I love doing is I call that the uh, oasis effect or the quota effect. Have you been to Mexico, Eric? Yes, already? many times. Where have you been in Mexico? Well, San Diego, very close to the border. Obviously, all of northern um, <coughs> Baja, Mexico, okay. up and down, I surf. It's, uh, okay. some, <laughs> some so you've been on the highway and you know this thing called quota, which are like places where you have to pay to to make sure you, you use the highway and, and everything. And so... The quota effect, because my wife is from Mexico, so we, we go in Mexico very often, is when you go to these places, very often they are not super efficient. It's Mexico after all. So what's happening is you have long queues of trucks and cars that are just lining up. And the really cool thing over there is that people who sell, uh, you know, like stuff to eat or to drink, instead of going and trying Chick to find prospects, you know, everywhere, is it like in houses or whatever, they go to the quota because people are lining up in the sun waiting and some people are hungry. So they find like the, you know, their market over there. It's the same as if you were in the desert and you're looking for food. If you just go and try to hunt for an animal, it's going to be hard. But if you find an oasis, there's going to be water, a bush, animals. It's going to be a great place to hunt. So that's basically what, what is a great, great thing here on LinkedIn is that see this bit like that. And people who attract and have an audience are great people to follow because you can poach their audience typically. So if they are speaking to your customers or the type of customers you want to go after, the customers will hang out around them in the shape of post likes, comments, and everything. And you can use that to reach out to them and start conversations. Well, I can't tell you how true that is. Oftentimes coming back into the United States, um, waiting at the border crossing, yeah. go time Mesa. Oh my gosh. Like usually it'll take anywhere between two and a half to four hours. Yeah. Like best case scenario. And yes, it is. A, it, I mean, it's almost part of the trip, right? Like the marketplace that exists yeah. <laughs> when you're waiting in your car. <laughs> yeah. Because you have a, a problem, you know, this. the problem is I have to wait two hours and a half to four hours to cross the border yeah. and there's no way around it. And, you know, what can I do in this mean, in the meantime, I'm stuck in my car. So if you have like market here, people selling stuff at some point, you, you know, if you're hungry or thirsty, you know, solution is there. And that's actually why I love Mexican people and, and you know, just going to Mexico because there's this pure understanding of market. And just like the hustle is real there because they see problems and they immediately solve it. So I just love that. Yeah. We have um, offices down in Guadalajara and, uh, and I, I hear what you're saying like loud and clear and all of our um, team members down there, I think will will laugh when they listen to this part of the podcast <laughs> with, with absolute agreement <laughs> of what you're saying. I love Guadalajara. It's beautiful town. Oh, it's yeah. beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. So, so Tell me then, okay, so we're in the middle of a market, we're in the middle of LinkedIn, and we're looking for, you know, conversations and people that re represent our ICP, 
we want to comment, we want to like, we want to otherwise be kind of like in the stream. Um, what are some do's and don'ts in doing that that you usually advise or, or counsel on? So trolling, don't do. Uh, political views, don't do. Inflammatory posts, don't do. Uh, one thing that I always insist on is that do not write anything online under the, you know, like if you have emotions, strong emotions. So people may, be, may say stuff that are like, reversing you or that just make you want to shout and, and just a reply just don't do that there's no point in doing this so you know it's it's there's other places to do that it's just the thing is if you have strong negative emotion about something just you know close your computer go walk some you just do something else first thing uh do's actually a really good thing to do is to ask a question or ask a thoughtful question so Commenting actually requires, and that's one of the weak spots I have myself, is I don't really spend too much time commenting because it requires to kind of write down and really give like create like really good thoughts. But the idea is people put content out there. If you outline what they say, for example, loved your point here, and this is why I love it, or you know, just rephrase a bit the point, that's a really good way to start conversations, get appreciation for the person who's done that, and then get people who actually um see your post to actually, you know, like it, engage on this post and, and do that. So really thoughtful comments, uh, repurposing what you see and say why you like it or maybe why you are not really, why you don't agree with it, but always be respectful. You know, like we live in a world where everyone just like wants to, it's like keyboard fighters or something like that. <laughs> and uh, if we were just like seeing each other in person, I'm pretty sure we would not say that. So just don't say something you wouldn't say to someone to their face typically. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And that's really good common sense, in my opinion. Um, what's your opinion on kind of like app messaging or otherwise pulling people that maybe you either know or don't know into a comment stream as well? So these ones actually uh, can be interesting. So one thing is you have to do it for genuine reasons. So if you want to go and tag people because they are thought leaders, so you're going to get more engagement. It doesn't make too much sense. So if it's really relevant to someone, tagging people is a great, great way to add them to the conversation. But just make sure you have already an existing relationship with them so that they're not just completely out of the blue and you're not, not I don't know, tagging Gary V to get like the hype of Gary v or whatever. Just tag people you already have a relationship with. So if you're not first degree connection, typically maybe not the best uh, idea to tag them. And yet um, it's happening every day on LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the thing is, LinkedIn is is a, is a great place, but it's also a, a place where, you know, it's just some horrible stuff. No, not horrible, but just like, you know, it, you see like this, it, it's a social network with like virality baked in it. And virality often is just like, not that, you know, what goes viral is, is just like strong negative emotions or stuff that are just very generic. And so I think, yeah, that's, that's, that's what you see. And, and you have to understand that you can train your algorithm. You can actually, recently there was an algorithm change where you can just say, I don't want to see that without unfollowing, but just like not really seeing that. And that's the thing is you can really train your feed to make sure it reflects what you want to see. Um, but yeah, there's tough places. In, in France, for example, I'm from France. We have a thing called, uh, on Twitter called Disruptive Humans of LinkedIn. And it's basically people who are saying just like some total crap on LinkedIn and it's just like, they think, take, you know, they're taking life lessons out of, you know, someone not cooking, uh, uh, I don't know, like a, a cake properly or something like that. And it's just really, really weird. So uh, yeah, LinkedIn can be a weird place, but you can train your feed to make sure it looks like what you want to see. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, that, that's the other half of it too, is, is tending to one's feed, right? So as I add people in my ICP to my connection network, by the way, this is an interesting thought, isn't it? Um, and I, I say this to our own SDRs or even our own clients all the time. LinkedIn as a mechanism or as a, as a social network, um, it's very rare that anyone ever unfollows or unconnects, isn't it? Yeah, it's quite rare actually. So uh, for me, that's that you know one thing. You know when we talk about this really strong emotional emotional kind of like uh, reactions we have. When I have this, I prefer to unfollow someone. You know, instead of because they won't see it or it's not going to be like a big deal or whatever, they won't feel bad or whatever. Just want because I don't want to see that. You know. Yeah. So, um, but most people don't really know how to do it. It's a bit kind of hidden. So it's quite rare that people will unfollow you or disconnect with you. And if that happens, it's actually fine because you want to make sure that you attract people who fit with what you're saying. In that sense, it's great. You know, it's an echo chamber, which is never great to actually have critical thoughts. But if you want to do business, you want to attract people who fit with the specific uh, ICP, specific ideas. And so that's kind of a, yeah, how you do it. Well, and, and ultimately because nobody ever unconnects and it's really hard to do so. And most people don't, to your point, don't know even the, the mechanisms for doing so. When I'm connecting and building up this ICP, um, I'm now kind of moving my own, or maybe I should be moving my own nurture cycles, possibility of doing business. I shouldn't be so short-term focused, right? I should be very medium to even long game focused because mm -hmm. these people are going to be in my network for the long haul, aren't yeah. they? Exactly. And, and what you see is that um, your network will grow. And most people will stay in there. In, and just like a mailing list, you know, most people will not just see one email, but if you post regularly or if you comment regularly, or if you're there regularly, at some point they'll see. And at some point they'll be like, okay, that I may need this person. Or I may need to talk to this person for this specific case. And so that's why, you know, for me, I've been posting for almost three years now, every single weekday. And uh, it's been bringing like so much business and some people just like, I've been saying, Hey, I've just been following you for two years. And the first time they're interacting with me and say, you know, now I'm ready to actually go and start a conversation about working with you because now I need that. And so the thing is we live in an environment where people are changing jobs like crazy. Like, you know, we change jobs, like staying two years somewhere is just like, uh, you know, really rare. So yeah. people change jobs all the time. And when they change jobs, they often, you know, get better jobs, they get budgets, they get like authority on, on plenty of things. And so this is really important then to make sure that you are nurturing these people through your comments and everything. And, and these people at some point may become customers. A lot of my previous colleagues that I started with are now customers because they own budgets that they didn't have when they were just starting with me. Well, it's funny. I, I, I even like to put it this way, putting my marketing hat on, maybe less so my SDR hat, but, but outbounding or prospecting runs through LinkedIn as a channel oftentimes then becomes medium to long-term inbounding like when the time happens to be right for the people that are coming back around, recognizing a need or, or matching that part of the brain of like, oh, these guys do that. Oh, now I need this. Mm -hmm. And therefore I'm coming back around. Absolutely. And what you see, that's why I love prospecting on LinkedIn is that you're going to get a lot of people who won't reply, but they're still connected with you. And at some point they'll come back as inbound leads, as you said. And this inbound lead came from outbound because you connected with them with the intention of booking a meeting. 
And, you know, in most cases, you don't book meetings, but that's fine. And people come back to you. And even once, it was very fun. I had an inbound Lini to a nightclub. So, uh, you know, it was like few, like I think four weeks ago, five, no, even more now, six weeks ago. And I was to, uh, you know, like with friends and everything. And then I guess like, oh, you're the guy, Thibaut, who's already always posting on LinkedIn. And I'm like, yeah, it's me. So, oh, and then the guy was like VP of sales at Adjust or something like that. And we started talking and basically booked the meeting in the nightclub. You know, you never stop working when you have your own business. But, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, it. it's a fun thing, you know, that you can, you know, you can have an impact in, the, in real life because there's real people behind their computers. That's a perfect example of just the interconnection, even online, offline. Um, hey, nightclubs just as relevant, especially now that we're hopefully post or downsloping on the pandemic. And yeah. uh, and offline is is kind of new in the world, which leads me to one of the other topics that I'd love to kind of broach with you and and talk about. <clears throat> and that's leveraging some of the tools of LinkedIn that are latent and available to everybody. One of which I think is super powerful and never talked about enough is events on LinkedIn. Yep. So events on LinkedIn are very interesting. They're one of these features that are used, but not so used. So the cool thing with events is that you can create your event on LinkedIn and then lead to whatever page you want to go. So it's a great, great, great thing here. But for me, what I like to do is to leverage events from other people. So if you go and look for keywords on specific events, some events will have settings that organizers can change, but where you're able, if you attend, to see the list of people who attend. And then you can see if they fit with your ICP, and then you can directly send them a message. So you can connect with them or send them a message even if you're not connected with them. And so there's this kind of, you know, like I call that the, uh, this kind of like the email or sponsored uh, mailbox, which doesn't work as well as the other ones, where even if you're not connected, you can talk with them and you can, you know, interact. So these are great places to go. Um, but even on LinkedIn are... You know, it depends always on LinkedIn on the feature they're trying to push. So now as we're talking, I don't really know, but I know when, when they, they were launching, events who had a crazy amount of visibility. So one thing I can say deriving that is when LinkedIn is introducing a new feature, they are pushing their algorithm. There's a bias towards this new feature. So try and experiment there because it's always where they, they will actually get the few people who use them and they will push this kind of, uh, of people to, to get uh, more engagement typically. Well, that that's so true. And I've, I've watched LinkedIn over the years. I think I joined up, I want to say in 04 dating dates itself badly. Um, <laughs> but, you know, LinkedIn has gone through so many different iterations, haven't they? Like, you know, the, the early days of lions or LinkedIn open networkers where, you know, they strongly encouraged everyone who were super aggressive about connecting with many, many, many people that's kind of frankly what they built their network on. Those days yeah. are long gone. <laughs> LinkedIn is definitely yeah. not featuring those people, especially those that don't have a sales navigator or a premium license <laughs> from mm -hmm. connecting with a lot of people at a time. I think one of the other chapters that was interesting, the rise and fall, if you will, is LinkedIn as a, as a content hub, right? Like mm -hmm. where articles by Bill Gates or Richard Branson or, yeah. you know, really famous people were stuffed down everybody's throat on the regular. Um, those mm -hmm. days seem to be over as well. Yeah. Um, the, the, the chapter of LinkedIn that seem, we seem to be in now is kind of what you had alluded to, more of a core social network and really focusing on how to connect people and have business discussions around topics that are germane to, frankly, the areas of promise that you yourself or your company would be most interested in. 
Do you think that's a fair assessment of kind of like where we're at? Yeah, I think that's that's yeah that's very true on that. I think before you know we had these kind of uh, big names and and they were like just like before the media where you had like a bunch of companies that were saying everything and no one has a say. Now everyone has a say and you know they're going to go through all these typical issues we have right now around social networks and their impact on the real world typically and democracy and everything. So uh so there's going to be I, I don't know it's it's hard to know where these social networks will go but again as soon as they start seeing some kind of, uh, of you know, like Facebook are seeing some kind of slowing down of users and everything, and it's yeah. going to be interesting to see that. So right now, I don't think we're there. And still, most people are not producing content. And LinkedIn, the good thing is that there's a whole thing about people in sales trying to reach out and making money with that. So booking meetings. So I think as long as it stays there and as long as this this, this kind of core mission or you know, core functionality of LinkedIn, I think it's going to stay very interesting. Um, but yeah, there's ne it's never been a better time to actually create content on LinkedIn. There's uh, people who just like access to fame, you could say really quickly. And uh, it's not because they, they, they're they just famous or have money. It's just because they have great ideas, great consistency, and they are showing up every day. Yeah. And that showing up is actually a really big deal, I think. Um so, and I would agree with you too, especially if you follow the money and look at just the rise of sales navigators, a multi-billion dollar business that is geared all around giving access to the LinkedIn data stream yeah. and prospecting on LinkedIn. In fact, I've even noticed some of the new features that they've introduced as a greater number of emails, obviously no profile view, like ceiling um, mm -hmm. going forward <clears throat> and navigator, you know, a lot of their new features are, are really geared around having an even tighter integration with one CRM, having yeah. a better kind of like workflow for prospecting. Yeah. So one thing that, that would be amazing would be being able to transfer data from LinkedIn into a CRM or something like that, which is like when you're doing a social network, driving traffic outside of your social network is pretty much the opposite of what you want to do. So we'll see. Um, but an API would be amazing, but I think they just like protect that as, as much as they can. So, uh, so we'll see, but SalesNav for me, I'm, I'm personally not a huge fan of SalesNav because it's, uh, I mean, it's a great tool, but it's, again, it's kind of like, you know, it's, you, you're stuck somewhere, you cannot export your list, you cannot really play around, you can, you know, just export some data in Salesforce, but it's just really basic. So I think it, it does the job, but the problem we have with SalesNav is that it's a great job to build lists. It's a terrible, I think, tool to actually start conversations because you're using emails. And if you Google emails, you can see they are called like uh, lead generation. So even LinkedIn is admitting that they are a lead generation tool where yeah. if you're sending, you're doing a campaign, it's going to send a thousand emails to someone or, you know, and try to, and you'll see it's a campaign and you're going to have, you're going to have results that are maybe good for marketing, but terrible for outbound. So that's why I always say don't use emails because they, they are great for LinkedIn. Every email you send, they make money. But often it's a bit harder to start conversations because people see the emails and see that someone's trying to sell them something. Well, and, and ultimately, if you get that connection request, isn't that worth like <laughs> how many emails, you know, and, and even stops that like endless stream of cat and mouse? Yeah. Um, the thing is, once you're connected, you can send LinkedIn voice notes, videos, like native videos, anything text, GIFs. You can send tons of things you cannot send with anything else. So for me, just the fact of being connected is great because you have so many different types of media that you can use to create a pattern interrupt. So that's why for me, it's, it's worth a lot more than uh, emails.
Are there other tools that you've leveraged or are currently leveraging um, in lieu of or instead of SalesNav? Um, so mostly to build lists, you mean? I'm just curious if, if there's yeah. something in your tech stack or what you advise over at Sales Labs for you know your students um, to have as part of their day-to-day -day LinkedIn approach, or is it just using the network kind of manually? So for me, I, do, I use it manually to show that everyone that you can be successful without any tool except LinkedIn. I have a Notion dashboard, which is uh, one thing I found really tough is there's no CRM that is not email centric. And so if you want to go and uh, very often you go on HubSpot and you will go on email on LinkedIn and you want to make sure you have a tracking, you're going to put like a fake email so you can create like an ID. So, you know, for me, I always like to use the LinkedIn URL as the ID. So I created like a Notion dashboard, which I actually sell also with the, with the kind of like the whole system I, I built. But there's a bunch of tools I really like. The first one I love is Lidjet. So Lidjet is a great tool where it's a small extension and you can click on something and it's going to basically capture your data, push it to your CRM, being a Salesforce, HubSpot, Copper, or even like a, an Excel spreadsheet. So this one's pretty cool where you're able to really quickly export some data, track what you're doing, and it works really well. The other one I love is uh, not so much about LinkedIn, or but most something I use a lot is Tolstoy, which is a video prospecting tool. And uh, this one, I'm an advisor for the company, love the company and what they're doing. And uh, yeah, that's typically the, the tools I use um, that, are, that are working really great. Is, um, is Tolstoy very similar? I'm not familiar with them. Are they similar to like a Loom or a Vidyard or something yeah. along those lines? Very similar. What I found better is that they you can create like uh, stories very easily where you have the video, different path in video, call to actions and everything. And so it's extremely powerful. That's cool. I'll have to check that out. Good recommendation. Yeah. Um, along those lines, when you're thinking about kind of like prospecting runs or, or even sequences, especially with um, where we started in, the, in this podcast, talking a little bit about, you know, those folks that you start with on LinkedIn, but maybe that LinkedIn isn't the channel for them. And then mm -hmm. the fallback is what email, phone, other channels. How do you, how do you think about sequencing or structuring sequences um, over at Sales Labs? So typically what I do is I always start with the, the sequence structure. So what are the touch points you want to do on which channel and what are the media? So channel can be, I don't know, LinkedIn, uh, email, phone, WhatsApp, whatever. The media will be what you're going to use in there, text, video, audio, or physical gift or something like that. So you're going to structure the skeleton like that. What is the touch point? What's the channel? How many days in between if I don't have a reply? And when do I stop? Once this is clear, you're going to start on the messaging and what you're going to say in each of these. So for the messaging, there's different frameworks. The idea of the messaging is just what I call the Netflix effect. So right now, for example, I'm watching uh, Stranger Things with my wife season four, and we're just like, you know, binge watching because they always end with a cliffhanger. So you want to see the rest. So you want to do the same, create this kind of cliffhanger. We say, hey, notice you did this, or you like this. Curious to know, do you have this specific problem? Because if you're interested, I have a quick resource I can share on how to solve it, interested in learning more. This gets like, you know, a lot of replies, around 35, 38% reply rate. I see that with my customers. And so you say, you know, you build this kind of scripts you're going to have. And then you make sure you execute on, on your sequences. And that you can do very simply by just having a whiteboard with your sequences, what you're going to say. But you can also include it into your outreach, your sales loft, or all your sequencer, whatever. And that's like a good way to do that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And 
really a focus in the messaging on the problem space to me feels like the, the key to those that success. The, yeah, that's the thing is, if you see like, all, you're unfortunate to have a C in your job title, CMO, so you must be at the receiving end of a ton of cold outreach, which he's talking about <laughs> like how cool they are, how amazing it is. What I found the best is when you have this very generic stuff about like, prospecting is such an important part of daily business. And this is why at this company, we do that. And you're like, sure, yeah, whatever. But so the idea is if you talk about a problem, you are fishing with problems. So if you say, hey, Eric, you, you know, like how are you preventing, you know, X, Y, Z, or how are you preventing increasing cost of like your MQLs or whatever, you know, you go in more details about what are typical problems of CMOs of companies like yours, then, you can actually see that. And in you know some cases, that's not going to be there. But if you have this problem, you're going to be curious because the problem has been clearly identified. And once this has been clearly identified, if I say, hey, actually, I may be wrong there, but I have a quick resource I can share with you on how to solve or you know, a few ideas on how to solve that, just reply and I'll send it over. By doing this, the message is short. It's very different from the rest of messages you receive. And it has one goal start a conversation, not book a meeting. So really the idea of call outreach is lead with problems and try to start the conversation and then navigate this conversation to book the meeting. Boy, that is such golden advice that I think every one of our listeners can just bottle up and take away and start using in their daily practice. Because um, you said two things there, <clears throat> you know, fishing with problems, I think is a very a super smart, insightful strategy. But the thing right behind it is probably just as important in my book. And represents less than 1% of the outreach that I get to me. And that is the socialization or social proof elements of other people just like me or with my title at companies like me in my industry that are struggling with or otherwise challenged by the exact same things. Yeah, exactly. This one's so important. And in fact, I, I run a round table every quarter with the VPs of sales and CROs. And it's so easy to actually get them on the table because you say, hey, I got this person, this person, this person. We're talking about problems they have. And it's funny, they all have the same problem. Like it's shocking. They all have the same problem. Like the VPs of sales or CROs, they're like, okay, so how, like, how, how can I find good reps? How can I onboard them faster? How can I know which ones I need to fire? And how can I make sure I have teams you know, of people who I can hire remote? And make sure they stay productive and all of them have the same issues so that's funny you know because it's uh, if you're in SaaS and you're cmo of a company that is i don't know making 50 million you're going to have the same problems as everyone else that is in the same kind of range so yeah yeah and yet most outreach actually doesn't reference any of that doesn't like it literally most of it falls into a bucket that is just really what i like to call me 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 it's just all mm -hmm. about the vendor or the person pitching um, yeah and it's almost just like a regurgitation of whatever I would find on their website, kind of like jammed down my throat. Exactly. And that's that's the problem is, uh, you know, we don't know any other way. So if I'm an SDR, if I was an SDR, just getting started in a company, that's what I would do because I'm afraid people will not take me seriously if I, you know, do not speak with the corporate jargon and everyone else in the company, you know, like people invested millions to create this messaging and these things. So I'm like, I'm going to use that because they invested so much money. But the idea is take that you know, curate it and put it to your own spin. And that's going to be a lot, lot more, uh, a lot worth a lot more than just, you know, uh, saying what, what is on the website. Couldn't agree more. 
Boy, boy, Thiba, this has been a really thoughtful conversation. And I think that people that are listening closely will come away with this with a ton of action items and ways of, of starting to leverage LinkedIn way more effectively in their day-to-day -day outreach. Tell me, um, where should people get in touch with you if they want to learn more, if they want to connect, if they want to kind of walk into your digital footprint? Um, <laughs> so they just need to add me on LinkedIn. So Thibaut Suiris, if you could just like put my profile on the show notes, that's going to be easier for everyone. Sure. Um, there's a few things I do. So if you go on there, you're going to go on my landing page. There's a newsletter, which is called Tactical Selling. Every Thursday, you receive one tactical tip. Um, there's also a new outreach, the new outreach system, which is an online course I'm doing where pretty much is the basic, like what we talked about. It's all, you know, in details over there. I'm also like a proactive selling partner. So, um, you know, like maybe some of you know, Skip Miller, who's like a sales trainer who lives in San Diego, by the way. And so I'm doing like the training for EMEA over there. So if you are trying to book meetings, I can help with sales that, but if you are trying to close business, I can help with the uh, proactive selling. So just go find me on LinkedIn. You'll find everything you need on there and just drop a message and make sure in your connection request, you mention the podcast. Otherwise I may just like, you know, not accept. <laughs> I love it. Good stuff. Well, thank you so much. This has been a really great use of time. Yeah. Thank you for having me, Eric. You betcha. Thanks for listening to that episode. If you like what you hear and you want to explore more, I invite you to join the Selling Advantage community. It's a paid community we're running with Skip Miller, where you're going to get access to a content library with training, checklist, and exclusive resources. You'll also get access to our experimentation swipe file and a Discord group with 150 Texas people. We also have online events where we invite special guests, a regular Ask Us Anything, and our content is focused on sales for North America and EMEA. If you want to check it out, go to sellingadvantage.io or click on the link in the show notes and you'll be able to sign up. 